This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Aluma Trailers, Onyx Hunt, Nutrisource Pet Foods, and by Waltons. My guests today are Amanda Ponte and Hannah Leonard from the nonprofit organization called Her Upland. We'll discuss their ongoing mission to educate and provide opportunities for women and girls in upland hunting, bird dog training, conservation, and mentorship. Plus, we'll talk about upcoming Her Upland events and find out why this organization is growing so fast. Hunting season might be over, but that doesn't mean it's time to mope around the house and hang your head. That's because it's meat season. Now's a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Walton's.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Walton's.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, produces this program, to which I am forever grateful. Brandon, you do an excellent job. I do not care what Scott Franzen says. Oh, well, thanks. The same goes for you. I don't care what Scott says about you either. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so last week we decided to add Flush Facts to the show, which I find interesting. And this really spawned from the the trivia show that we put together as I started researching. There's just a lot of information out there that I think um, some hunters know, but a lot don't. So I'm just going to grab another fact every week and we'll throw it in and see if it interests you. So, Brandon, do you know where the first pheasant was introduced to America? All right. Well, I know I'm already going to get this wrong, so I'm just going to guess Iowa. Uh, not even close, my friend. Not even close. All right, well, it goes to show how much I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so native to Asia, the ringneck pheasant was first introduced as an Oregon, Oregon game bird in March of 1881 when the United States Consul General Owen Denny and his wife Gertrude shipped 60 of them from Shanghai to the Willamette Valley. The introduction... The introduction was a success, and the birds quickly spread to nearby counties. And once I started thinking about that, you know, a lot of people, like you just said, you thought maybe Iowa, South Dakota comes to mind because it's kind of the self-proclaimed pheasant capital of the world. Well, uh, the first pheasant was released in South Dakota in 1908, according to Pheasants Forever, um, and it was released by a gentleman named Hagman who released three pairs of ringneck pheasants at Hegman's Grove, north of Redfield, South Dakota, in 1908, marking the first successful stocking of the game bird in the state. Now, when we talk about stocking birds, this conversation has come up quite a few times on this show, other shows in the past. A lot of times people say, yeah, let's just stock birds. Well, it doesn't work that way. 
Um, let me remind you that releasing pheasants onto a landscape is not considered a wise move by biologists. The reason these first introductions worked is because they released wild pheasants onto the landscape. That's much different than going to a pheasant farm today, buying birds and releasing them on your property. Pen-raised birds typically don't have the instincts to survive long enough in the wild to reproduce on the landscape, which is why biologists tell us that if you want more birds on your landscape, it always, always, always comes down to habitat. And I agree with that. Some of the birdiest pheasant fields that I have ever walked have never had a pheasant release on them. They created ideal habitat and provided food, and the birds found it and then exploded in numbers. So anyway, there's our flush facts of the day. Let's get right to the show uh, and our guests today. Amanda Ponte and Hannah Leonard, thank you for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for having us. Yeah, let's start with Amanda. So Amanda, I see on the Her Upland website that you're the tech goddess and head of the risk and concern department. What does that title mean and how long have you held that position? <laughs> uh, well, that title means that if, uh, so I do all of the backend stuff on the tech um, for our forms and entries into events and troubleshoot a lot of things with Courtney, um, get our, our payment collection vendors up and, and set up. So uh, just a, a couple of admin things on the back end that Courtney wanted to highlight in my title. And then uh, we needed someone to filter through uh, any or good organization gets complaints, and uh, our beloved founder, Courtney Bastion, is is very soft, and we love her for that, but she is not the complaints department, and so <laughs> I am a little more rigid in my life, uh, and so I was happy to take on that role. Not that any of our uh, uh, members have any issues, but uh, it just, it, it beats Courtney up a little bit. So I took that role on and so far no one's wanted to complain. And so I tell her it's just because she put my face to it, but we're, well, we're in good you're shape. using people to their strengths. And I think every good organization does that. They find people and they use their strengths. That's important. Hannah, how long have you been with her Upland and what's your role? So I am a board member. I don't have a, a fancy title, not yet at least. <laughs> So um, I've been with Her Upland, I guess, well, we officially received our 501c3 earlier this year, but I've been helping Courtney with Her Upland for the past two years. So um, been with with Courtney from the from the sort of beginning, I suppose. Gotcha. And you, you both mentioned Courtney. Courtney is the founder of the organization. And I believe, you know, I was listening to your podcast, one of the most recent ones, and you mentioned kind of how the organization came about, but now, um, and, and we'll dig into that here as well, but uh, today you're, you're basically run similar to a lot of large organizations in that your, your board members kind of make a lot of the decisions. So um, do you feel like that is, a? I mean, I, I hope you feel like that's a good move, but so far, so good? Absolutely. Yeah, no. I will oh, go ahead, Amanda. No, go ahead, Hannah. You're, you're on. <laughs> um, I was just going to say it's, it's been awesome making that transition into a 501c3 because it not only allows us to have a really strong board team making decisions for the organization, but it also allows us to find some great funding opportunities to help us get women and girls into the uplands, which is 
amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Our uh, board uh, also allows for a good amount of diversity and because we're across the nation. So we've, we've picked up talent that we wouldn't otherwise see if we kept it to like more local. And something else that's super unique about our board is that no one is paid. No one in her Upland is a paid employee. So everyone that is spending their time putting together all of this amazing stuff um, is doing it for, for volunteer hours. So um, that's really neat and something awesome to be a part of. You, you mentioned volunteer hours and that includes a lot of time why we'll start with you amanda why do you do it why do you invest so much time into something that doesn't pay you back financially yeah i think that's a really good question i was i was really leaning into this and i through my hunting journey there were so many people that deposited wisdom and positivity into my virtual cup of of knowledge and and betterment in the field. And I got to a point where my cup was overflowing from everyone who had contributed. And I realized I wasn't doing anything to put that good back out, um, or at least not enough to, to balance it out at the level it was coming into me. And so I really looked for an opportunity to start giving back to something that gave me so much. And although like her upland wasn't in existence when I had started hunting, um, it really aligns with those, those missions and values of what I'm looking to, to put back into the world of hunting and getting women out there, getting youth out there, uh, making it a positive place, all of the great connections. And so it just, it fit the goal at, at the time and it still does. And the connections keep you there. I think that anyone who's on the board or volunteers their time would say they do it for the people. Hannah, would you agree? Absolutely. I was going to say that that was a hard follow-up, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I suppose I got into it sort of similarly, but maybe more selfishly in that hunting with women, and no offense, guys, but hunting with women is a, is a totally different game. And it's a game that I prefer and I enjoy. And um, this specific group of women involved in her upland are just incredible. And it's, it doesn't feel like work, you know, every time we get together for a board meeting or in person for an event, we're all just having a great time. So uh, it's, it's something that I, I would recommend anyone do is get involved in a board that you're, you're proud of and, and you want to be a part of. Yeah. I think when it comes to volunteering, it doesn't matter what organization you're volunteering for. Um, you know, you're, you're doing it for others. It's, it's, you're going to, you're going to receive a lot of benefit by volunteering. There's something like it's in human nature when you serve other people, it's rewarding for you as well. It helps you grow as a person. And obviously that applies here. You mentioned no offense to men. I, I knew when I got into this conversation <laughs> that I was outnumbered today. And that's okay because I, I'm obviously a man. I, I only know what I know. I, I can see how other people get into the hunting world. I've introduced my wife to it. She's come along with me. In fact, one of the most uh, one of the television episodes that I've received the most feedback the last handful of years is the episode that I took my wife on her first hunt. And I heard from so many husband and wives, uh, you know, not married. It didn't matter. It was men and women that watched it or they showed their wife and they watched it and they said, 
I'd like to try that. Women said, I want to try that. I mean, we, we know that this sport is dominated. It's a male dominated sport, but it's the, the amount of women in the field is growing and that's awesome. And that's why I want to have this conversation because I, as a man, I don't understand some of the challenges that you face as a woman or some of the intimidations that might come with it. And you have powered through that and you're enabling other women to do the same, which is exciting, which I hope that any man listening today might be able to say like, hey, maybe my wife would love to learn from other women. Maybe she doesn't learn from me so well, or maybe there's things that I need to consider when I'm bringing my daughter out into the field or my girlfriend or my wife. So that's really what I hope happens today. Is that, is that okay with, with both yeah, of you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's just take a, a quick step back. So you've, her Upland started, um, was it two years ago or three? Yeah. In 2021. Okay. And so you are a national organization. You mentioned um, that you're in different parts of the country. Amanda, I know you're in California. Hannah, you're over by Jackson Hole, Wyoming right now, but you have members in different regions of the country, right? Where are they all located? They are located everywhere. We have members <laughs> everywhere. Love um, it. From coast to coast. Gotcha. Um, so I think Amanda- maybe a, a good way to sum that up too, is that we have different regions with her upland and we have different regional coordinators within those regions. So, um, we have Southeast region, Midwest, Northeast, Southwest, Pacific West, and Pacific Northwest. So we're covering the gamut. Gotcha. Do you separate, you don't really separate like chapters, like a quail forever, pheasants forever would do. No. Um, so the national events are are like our big things throughout the year. And then in order to reach more people, um, we've launched an online community. And so inside of that community, it allows us to parse people out by location and, and put them into those um, regions that Hannah was just talking about. And so then those regional coordinators are able to build smaller events um, and, and more intimate, close range events for travel and get people into that world of connection that they are so like, that's what we hear over and over again um, in all of our follow-up evaluations. It's like, it's just, I'm here to connect with women. I'm here to connect with other like-minded women. I'm here to find connections for the field. Um, And so hopefully by breaking up into those regions, we've allowed for that to happen at a smaller level while still focusing on our huge national events. Gotcha. Are you finding a specific region in America that seems to be growing faster than others, or is it pretty much an even growth nationwide? So we just launched our online community in December. So I think it's hard to say at this point, uh, definitely more, more data to come. Gotcha. Um, when somebody signs up to become a member, what benefits do they receive and what happens next for them? You want to take that one, Hannah? I was going to say, who wants to take this one? Um, So not only if you sign up to be in our community network, what that does is that helps us fund our scholarships. So we have youth scholarships for gals to get involved in our camps. So um, you get that feel good feeling of helping to fund the next generation and you get resources for dog, uh, all bird dog training and testing. If you're into that, Um, I currently don't have a bird dog, which is breaking my heart, but 
It's Mm. an awesome resource for folks who are maybe in my shoes and wanting to see what kind of breed they might be interested in or folks who are already doing, you know, the NAVDA testing and that sort of thing. There's also a plethora of upland species information on that community page, and it connects you with all of the women in the community. So say, you know, you just want to hunt locally, you can filter down to folks just within, you know, a 60 mile radius, or you can say, hey, I'm going to go visit Donna and I want to hunt down in Arizona. And you can do that and you can make those connections, you know, across, across the nation. And then also obviously, you know, get, you're in the know with the regional events and early access to register for those events. So our community isn't, you know, anyone can, can join our events, um, but the community specifically um, gives you a lot more resource resources and access to women to connect throughout the nation. I mentioned this right off the top, but her Upland mission is to educate and provide opportunities for women and girls in Upland hunting, bird dog training, conservation, and mentorship. What percent do you think you spend on each of these core mission values? Is it heavily skewed on the hunting side based on what women want to learn? Or is it dog training? Or do all of these inevitably just go hand in hand? Yeah, I think there's a there's really a balance in that they, when we really sat down and uh, got our 501c3 and and figured um, like some real defining factors of what we wanted to lead to, those four pillars of upland hunting, bird dog training, conservation, and mentorship were at the top always. And I think uh, like based off our national events, we are a, a little bird dog training heavy this year. Uh, we have one horseback field dog field trial camp and then five pointing dog camps that are slated for this year. Um, and only, I think, uh, maybe it's even out. We have five hunting camps as well. So, um, I think it's, we're just trying to meet the need of the people around us. And by doing that, it's allowing us to have the balance there. Um, and I think hunting or dog training, the mentorship piece is accounted for. And then we just want to make sure that we keep conservation at the highlight uh, of what we do because it allows us to do what we like to do. When you put together this list of events, how do you plan them? What what do you like? What needs do you see? And then is that what really dictates what events you're going to host? I would say a lot of the planning, um, you know, up until our formal board creation has been on Courtney's shoulders and she has just crushed it, in my opinion, in in getting these events planned. But as Amanda just said, too, a lot of it comes from demand and, you know, survey feedback from other camps. So our first camps that we had in 2021, there was a wing shooting clinic and a grouse camp. And I was part of the grouse camp. And then in 2022, We had a pointing dog training camp and a grouse camp. And then now exploding into 2023, we have, I mean, I could list them off, but uh, we have. Can you list them actually? Yeah. Yeah. I I think people would be excited to hear some of the opportunities that are coming up. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know, Amanda, if you can look up the dates while I list these off, because I don't have the dates in front of me. I just have our blanket list, but uh, maybe I can look them up on our, oh, here. Let's see. Twenty twenty. Well, I don't know that the dates yeah. necessarily matter as much. You know, people that um, are interested, they can they can go on social media and find you at her yeah. upland or heruplandcom and they can get more specifics on each one. But just knowing some of the opportunities yeah. that are coming up might excite people. So for our twenty twenty three national events, we have one wing shooting clinic, one horseback field trial camp, 
five pointing dog training camps. So that includes two novice, two intermediate and one advanced opportunity two rendezvous. And what those are, are a hunt camp alumni. So if you've gone to any of our hunt caps in the camps in the past, um, you're invited to that as well as the Herpland team. And then three hunt camps, we have a mountain grouse, pheasant and quail camp slated. And then um, we have one that's kind of pending, but is super exciting, uh, a falconry camp. So a lot of folks, um, you know, might be interested in falconry and we've got a great regional coordinator who um, that's her jam. So uh, we have four youth scholarships available for every single one of those events as well. So definitely you know, look into that. If you've got a kiddo that's wanting to get into this scene or um, you want to take your kid with you, but maybe it's kind of like skiing where sometimes learning from a parent or a partner might not end up well. Um, (laughs) Mm. So um, that's another, you know, benefit of these Herupland camps and clinics is that, you know, you kind of get that, that training from somebody else. So you don't have to be at each other's necks in the field when we all know that can happen with partners. Well, that's so. I have firsthand experience with this um, in taking my wife out hunting. Some of my friends and their wives were like really intrigued by this, you know, and Sarah, my wife told stories about it. We went on a horseback hunt and we were out by the Missouri river in South Dakota. I mean, just beautiful place to be. And it just really like, it really connected with her soul. And so when she would talk about it, these other women were, interested in it so then we set up a day okay husband and wives we're gonna go shoot sporting or we're gonna go shoot trap out at a buddy's farm well i found watching some um of my friends you know and how they interact with their wife or teach you know like it can sort of be challenging sometimes so i was quick to raise my hand and say here let me help talk to uh, your wife about how to hold the gun or think certain things. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is sometimes it's easier to learn from somebody else than your best friend, your, your husband, I guess, maybe in this instance. Um, and, and that's where the value of having other women that can teach is, is so invaluable, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And what's been cool too, just from my experience with our grouse camps. So I've been a part of them the past two years. And what has been so cool to see is some of the gals that, you know, it was their first year, you know, two years ago coming to the camp. And then they came back this year and we're like, Hey, you know what? Like you no longer need to be a mentee. Like it is time for you to step into the boots and be a mentor. And so having that ability to, to see people go through that whole phase of, of learning and now being able to become teachers themselves is really cool. And I think it's a really empowering experience for those women as well. And then they can now become, you know, conduits in their community to get more folks involved. Very cool. Yeah, and I, I, I also think that there is a level of value in learning alongside people who haven't been doing this since birth, right? And we do, we have women who were handed a shotgun out of the womb and have, have grown up in that, but there's also like a vast majority of us have picked this up as adults. And so it's less intimidating to learn from someone who is actively still learning than it is learning from your partner who has been sitting in the duck line since they were 12, you know? And so (laughs) um, I think that is really helpful here. Not just that we are women teaching women, but also that we are women 
close to the same, like there's a lot of closeness in levels of experience here too, um, to pair up with. And and the people that have been doing it forever are amazing and great to hear from, but it's, it's so nice to hold a shotgun at the range next to someone who hasn't, uh, you know, had it ingrained in their hand forever. When you put these events on and women show up, where do they come from and how do they find you? All they over. come from oh. everywhere. <laughs> they uh, they literally come from everywhere. We have people flying in. Uh, so the the original sort of publication to get information out there is the Bird Dog Bay podcast, which has since sunsetted as Courtney is moving on to really jump into this her upland world and and focus on this. Uh, but things were talked about and put out on her Patreon Patreon platform. Um, and that got a lot of interest to the camps. And I think really was like a mainstream feed for them as well as the social media accounts. Why is it growing so fast? Because it's so fun to hunt with women. And (laughs) this is such an awesome, you know, platform for women to connect with each other and see that we are all having a fun time learning together. And you know, just like in any of our hunting activities, we know that women are the fastest growing demographic in that sporting space. And so not only having those, you know, stats behind it, but also knowing that there is such hunger for these kind of opportunities out there and women are, are finding us, we're finding them. Um, you know, we just went to Pheasant Fest a couple of weeks ago and it was so cool to see how many folks came up to the booth that they were like, wow, cool. I, I know her Upland. That's great. And how many folks came up and said, I don't know what this is. Tell me more. This looks awesome. So, you know, I think we've done a really awesome job and kudos to Courtney, of course, um, for, for building this community that everyone is welcome to. And, and we're just out here to have fun and learn together. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you've put like your, everything from some of the clothes you've made and your logo and just like everything you do is really trendy. It just looks great. And it's something that looks like, Hey, I want to be a part of that too. I, I don't know if that has anything to, um, or is, is a part of your growth, but everything that your organization is putting out there is re- viewed really well, at least in, in my opinion. Um, so I think it's something that I pretty sure you're proud of, but I, you should be proud of. <laughs> yeah, no, we're absolutely proud of it. I think uh, it comes from like a, a hunger and need for the things that we want. And then we have this ability to create them for ourselves, which is amazing, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we, we wanted to do something with the feathers that we process off our birds and we turned them into feather, uh, like hat bands and brooches and jewelry. And, and then everyone else is in love with that idea too. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's just, it all comes from a selfish need that then meets everyone else's need as well. And it's really cool to see. Now, I think you've sold out of those hats at Pheasant Fest, right? We did sell out of the brooches. I, I think, Hannah, do you know if we came home with any hat bands? I think we maybe only came home with like a half a dozen hat bands, which yeah. is incredible. So they were all, you know, made by volunteers that, that banded together and got those crafty, crafty jeans going. And um, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was definitely it, a really popular item. Is that just a Pheasant Fest special or can people still buy them online? Uh, they are not available online currently. We made a big batch for Pheasant Fest, uh, but I, I have a feeling they will resurface in the future. 
I'm yeah, hoping they I do think, because I think my wife would would love one of those hats. Yeah, and the, <laughs> we the, gotta get your wife to a her upland event. I agree. Yeah, yes. we do. Yeah. Yes. Well, and what's cool is that all of those, well, most all of those feathers, aside from the guinea fowl, which was a a victim of a fox in in Courtney's <laughs> little farm, but um, with the exception of that, um, all of the feathers are from her upland camps or her upland um, community members. And so we're not only, you know, providing an experience, but also showing women like how cool you can, you know, show your support and help us continue supporting our organization by, by helping us make these. And every single one of them is unique. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the challenge with putting them online is that, you know, we don't just have like a tub full of chucker feathers, you know? And so um, they're, they're all, each one of them is individual. So Okay, we'll so if somebody if somebody listening right now has a bunch of chucker feathers, can they donate them to you? Yes, please. How? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, though, we we really uh, not the chucker like a frequent um, like game bird or like game farm bird is what I'm getting at, but it's mm-hmm. there's like this amazing story in these hat bands that all of the feathers that you're holding in your hand and putting on your hat are harvested in the field by a Herlepland member, right? And so like, mm-hmm. these are wild birds in, you know, the prairies of Montana that we have, we've got to hold and and harvest and, and eat and then process their feathers out as well. And so it's just so cool. Like I, I bought a chucker band, I hunt chucker. It's not my chucker on the band, but I know that those chucker tell a story. And so it's just so cool. Well, when I saw it, I was like, gosh, that's cool. And for me personally, on my cowboy hat, I, I have a feather from just every species of bird that I harvested while wearing it, you know. So I have a chucker. I've got Hungarian partridge, sharp-tailed grouse, pheasant, bobwhites, you know. I mean, I just like to stick one feather in the side of it. So when I, I mean, obviously mine doesn't look nearly as nice as <laughs> what you have created, but there's just something cool about it because each one has a story, like you mentioned. And for me, it's personal. Um, Let's keep it personal for a minute. Um, When women show up to your events, do you think they're intimidated at first? And if so, why? Ooh, that's that's an interesting question. So um, I'll take a first swing at it. I don't think women show up intimidated because we're all kind of a bunch of giggly, gaggling people. (laughs) gals, for lack of a better term. Um, At least, you know, in my experience with the two grouse camps, you know, it's, it's a very rural setting. And, you know, when you walk in the front door, we're all just there, you know, looking at all the gear we have, getting everyone signed in, getting you all your goodie bags and everybody is immediately talking to everyone. Um, I've been in other situations with groups of women where you walk in and it's very clicky already and you're not quite sure you know, who to talk to, where to fit in. And I think our camps, you know, in my experience, at least when you walk in, everybody wants to talk to everybody and make connections with everyone. And I think that's a super unique and cherished thing within that community. Um, I mean, I guess the intimidation factor might happen when we go shoot clays, but it's so fun also to be out on that range and just the gals screaming when you ink one of those clays and, you know, it's just, it's different. You know, when you go shoot clays with guys, it's, <laughs> it's definitely not <laughs> as much of like a cheering squad um, as it is with the Herupland crowd. 
Why isn't yeah. that? I don't understand that because I, whenever I've shot sporting clays or clays with my wife and with other ladies, like it's, we all are having a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, the, the joy is, I think, pretty even across the board. I'm, I'm surprised that the, like men wouldn't be even more excited to watch their girlfriend dust a clay. Yeah, yeah, I'll say from an experience with with my dad uh, shooting at a five stand um, and he was showing me they had those like you talk into the mic to, you know, get the clay to go. And uh, at one point I started like giggling and my dad just shot me a look because he's like, you're going to set off the clay shooter. <laughs> you got to be serious and quiet. So, I mean, maybe in those scenarios, the like cheering and loudness isn't ideal, but that's um, <laughs> certainly um, I mean, I think girls just, you know, what's that song? Girls just want to have fun. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a level of seriousness in hunting that men adapt that women are trying to crush, you know, like yeah. it, we're there for fun, like, and, and not that men aren't doing it for fun, but they're doing it for fun at a different decibel than we are. Like we want to cheer people on. We want, you know, to, to celebrate your first bird with you by screaming and jumping up and down and kissing bird dogs and you know men just like look at that and they're like what is wrong with you guys like (laughs) I you know I um I tell a story that when I was in Montana and I got to watch sage grouse fly for the first time I didn't even pull my gun up um because I was so mesmerized by the birds and it was just like such an intense connection to watching them fly away and the man I was hunting with was like so angry like why didn't you shoot and I was like they're so beautiful all this way for that bird yeah and he's like you'll never see another one like and I was like this is you're traumatizing me like this is such a great experience and so you know we get out there with women and and (laughs) hey if I watched a covey fly away and someone was like oh my god that was so beautiful I'd be like yeah it was like let's Mm -hmm. go find some more yeah I wonder too if you know I'm listening to your stories and I I look back at when I first got into hunting and fishing and I spent a lot of time with both my grandparents and my dad, of course, too. Um, you know, and I wonder if that mentality is in a different generation. You know, like I, I feel like when I'm out there and I take my kids with a lot and my wife comes with a lot, whatever we're hunting for, whenever I have the chance, I bring them. And like we celebrate, we're all a bunch of kids out there is how I feel anyway. That's awesome. Um, you know, and, and I guess I wonder if that would have been different. 50 years ago, 40 years ago, even, you know, with the different generation teaching the next group of hunters, you know, I I don't know. I I mean, do you have any thoughts about that as far as how it might be different today than it was that time? And maybe that's why you guys are growing so fast. Well, like Amanda said earlier, I, I didn't get into hunting until adulthood until college. And so I guess I don't really have that, you know, historical knowledge in my family as far as what it would have been like to hunt with my grandpa or my dad. Um, although my dad is now into hunting, which you're welcome, father. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I could see, you know, the generational change maybe, but I still, you know, feel that with some of my guy friends, you know, today that they take it so seriously and, kind of forget to have fun. Yeah, I think, you know, it it probably is mostly phasing out of the de- generational thing. I also think that there is um 
not it, it's like a unconscious sort of position where um men helping women puts us in like an inferior position um and not because anything that is being done but it just it's such a male dominated sport right and so mm-hmm. we already feel like our space in this world um of hunting is is much smaller just you know go try and buy a pair of women's field pants and you'll see just how drastically different it is right like i can buy a pair of women's um hunting boots and i get two options where men get 15 you know and mm-hmm. and i get it like i get that the need is there for men to have those options as well um but i think also it's it's this mentality of helping um us learn but also like allowing us to fail and uh to fail safely but it's just you know there's there's so much knowledge to be transferred and there's also value in letting us figure it out on our own so there's so much value to that i I couldn't agree more and i'm learning that firsthand with my kids too that you know, handing them everything doesn't guarantee they're going to enjoy doing it. You know, they need to struggle and learn in the field because then it's rewarding when there's success. Otherwise, success doesn't have the same value. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I have some great men mentors in my life and I wouldn't be in the hunting space without men. Uh, for sure. I, I definitely am not on a woman only track, but um, it's just, it, it's it's a great connection, and that's what keeps me in it. If you've used the Onyx Hunt app before, then you realize how valuable it is in the field when you're hunting and all of the information that it shows you. And now Onyx just released a new feature. If you run the Onyx Hunt app on an iPhone, you now have Apple CarPlay. Yep, the app now works on the dash in your vehicle. And if you have an Android or a phone that's not an iPhone, they're working on the exact same thing that will be released soon. So instead of holding onto your phone, trying to understand who owns which property, it's right there on the dash, just like the maps that you would see on Google Maps or Waze or whatever um, navigation system you use in your vehicle. Now you just touch the Onyx app. If you don't have it in your car yet, all you have to do is go into your phone and update the app and it will automatically show up. Click the on X, the red X, and you're good to go. All of the layers that you have and all of the waypoints are going to show up on the map, just like if you're using it on your phone. Onyx maps work in the field and now they work in your vehicle too. Onyx Hunt always helps you to know where you stand. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource High-Performance Dog Food. 
Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Um, you mentioned, you know, just the opportunities or gear-wise. You know, I, I, I hope, I think and I hope that when there's more kids and more women in this space, it's more demand. And more demand will create more opportunity for a company to create more options for women. And hopefully that just continues to grow. Um, I think there's something important about what you're working on at Her Upland that we need to talk about. And that's the scholarships that are available to kids. Before, I, before we get into that, though, um, children are a big part of your mission. Is it specifically young girls or are boys allowed in this as well? Boys are allowed as well. They are. Okay. So how does the scholarship program work? So we have, um, like I said earlier, we have four youth scholarships available at every single one of our events. And what that does is it covers the youth registration fee. And then it also covers the cost for the chaperone. So that I feel like is a pretty unique opportunity. You know, typically when you apply for a scholarship with a kiddo, you know, then the parent has to kind of put everything else, but we really want to make it. So it's a family event and that that you can experience that together with your kiddo. Um, And as of today, we have 13 out of 32 scholarships funded by our mentorship and merchandise sales. So we still have a lot of those scholarships to fund, Um, but that's, it's, you know, an application process. And um, obviously we want to fund all 32 of those scholarships and, and be able to provide those opportunities for, for youth hunters. And I think what really like sparks our interest in the youth, not only is is continuing to hand this down, but uh, historically having children at home would keep a female out of the field, right? Like mm-hmm. dad is not going to keep the kids so mom can go deer hunting for two weeks, you know? And so allowing a space where both mom and daughter or mom and son can come learn together uh even if mom is not super interested and the kid is, then we're allowing another woman into the field, right? Whereas maybe before they wouldn't have that opportunity because they would be stuck in that caregiving role. Um, And I know a lot of our team members are parents. I am not. um, No, thank you. Uh, (laughs) But they, they are parents and they're out there with their kids in the field, strapped to their back in, you know, backpacked, getting after it. And just, you know, trying to, to break the mold that they, they can't be in the field because they have a small child at home. So I think that really, um, sparks a lot of our youth interest as well. How long will a child be on the mentorship program or the scholarship program once they're, once they've received a scholarship? So it's one of, we, we scholarship, we, uh, give them the scholarship for one event. So um, if they apply, they can come to that event. And then if they wanted to come to a subsequent event, they would just have to reapply for another scholarship. And then it would be based off availability. So you listed off a bunch of events that are coming up. And obviously I mentioned that people can go 
to your site specifically to see which one fits into your their region, wherever they may be listening right now. Um, if if you're not a member of Her Upland, you can still go to the event, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the moments that you've encountered since you have been volunteering your time. Maybe, maybe there's a, do, do you have a specific story or stories that really stand out that somebody listening might be like, gosh, that, that really hits home for me. Um, anything that has happened at any of the events or women that have come that have their lives have been changed drastically by it. Amanda, you want to take a first swing or you want me to tell the stories? I'll let you swing at that since (laughs) you've been at more grouse camps than, than I have. So, um, man, it's so hard to think of one inspirational story because I feel like everybody comes in with an awesome story, um, or at least leaves with one. Right. So there was, um, a mother daughter team that came last year to our grouse camp and it was so cool to see i guess there was two two mother daughter teams one with a youth scholarship and and one is both as adults but um the the one team in particular i'm thinking of is you know the the mom wasn't super comfortable with uh upland hunting had been more into big game hunting and um wasn't quite sure how she was going to you know shoot clays and she at the end of the day like inked a clay and it was so cool to see the entire you know firing squad behind us just like (laughs) screaming with joy and having her build that confidence and then I was lucky enough to join them in the field you know after our our clinic days we go out and have two hunting days and to have her harvest her first mountain grouse she was just elated. And then fast forward a couple months, she was having a dinner party at her house and she was talking to her guests about her experience. And wouldn't you know it, those guests were like, you know what, we want to continue to support this amazing program. And they, they gave us a, a really nice donation. And hmm. so having, you know, a woman come in who maybe isn't as confident um, as some of the other gals and um, not quite sure if, if she's going to continue, you know, the sport, but wants to join in with her daughter and then to leave, you know, elated and then be a conduit in her community to continue our mission. That was just like kind of a really cool full circle experience. Yeah. And that, that same youth, uh, when we were doing our recap video from camp, she was telling us about going to school and telling them about her adventures. And her teacher was like, you were hunting birds, right? <laughs> she was like, yeah, I was hunting birds. And she she said her teacher had like looked up to see the species of birds so she could like try and talk to her about it. And I thought that was really cute. So, um, but yeah, she's a, she's a rock star. I think we'll see her more out there doing big things. So, yeah. Well, you, and you another mean, thing, oh, sorry, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and I do want to hear this other story, but you mentioned something that I think is worth noting that, People listened to her story and they wanted to support the organization. So they made a donation. I assume, like say somebody listening right now says, you know what? I like what these women are doing. I want more women to get involved. I want to help. Maybe I want to buy a scholarship for a kid or something, but they're not going to be a member because they're a male, a man, you know, um, can they do that? Is that 
an option? Absolutely. Yeah. So they're on our website. There's a place to donate. Um, and, and we appreciate it. Like we are of course completely funded, um, for our, our, you know, 501c3 status. So no one's making any money here, but, um, all of that money goes to youth stuff and, and running the camps. And so absolutely, if you feel like you, you can are able to donate, we would, we'd love that. Uh, we also, because our camps, we like, our goal is to keep them affordable, um, but affordable means something different to everyone. And mm-hmm. so we do have women who participate in camps who feel like they could pay more and they, they end up giving us a donation on top of their registration fee in order to cover the cost of someone else. So it's really awesome. Very cool. What is the cost of a camp? Uh, I believe the camps are 850 currently, but that can change based off, you know, bird pricing and all mm-hmm. that fun stuff. And, and are they all camps are about 500. Are they all three-day events? Uh, so the hunting camps are five, and okay. the dog training camps, Hannah, I don't remember. Are they three or four? Well, so it ranges from two and a half days to five days, depending on um, what you're doing. So most of the bird dog training camps are four days. Our hunt camps are five days. And then our clinics, like our wing shooting clinic, is two and a half days. Gotcha. So at these hunting camps, I assume that you probably take everything from start to finish. I mean, if you're out there hunting wild birds up in the mountain, you come back afterwards, you clean the birds together, you prepare the meal together. Is that all part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. So, you know, at, for our, our conservation pillar of this too, through our camps, a lot of times we'll have, you know, we'll invite Ruffed Grouse Society to come in and talk to us about conservation. Um, in my day job, I work at Sporting Lead Free. And so I also do a clinic about, you know, why we choose lead free options when we're in the field and, and building on that, the women can then build their skill set from, okay, I'm learning how to identify a species. I'm learning how to pick a hunt spot. I'm going to go hunt and now I'm coming back and I'm going to clean and prepare my bird. And so you go through that whole thing. And in addition to that, if you are so lucky to have a bird dog, there's also that element of understanding how to hunt over your dog, understanding how your dog hunts with other dogs. And um, as Amanda mentioned too, getting all of the bird dog kisses you could possibly imagine, um, a huge benefit in that. So, you know, we're not going to just assume that everyone starts on the same page, you know, so we want to make sure we're getting everybody those skill sets in order to feel comfortable out in the field. You know, some women show up having not shot a shotgun before, but they just so happen to have purchased a a bird dog breed, you know, thinking it would be a running companion and then figured out like, wow, actually this would be really fun to learn how to hunt over this dog. And they come to our camp with, with absolutely zero background other than help me get my dog, get me to the level my dog is at (laughs) for hunting, which that you would be surprised how, how much that happens. And we actually have a new podcast now with our podcast network, um, the accidental bird dog, which tells those stories of, of folks getting a bird dog, not for bird dog hunting and then ending up getting into that. So Long-winded answer to say yes. <laughs> no, we start I, you from. <laughs> like, well, start, and I, I like that, and I know I know we have just a limited amount of time because you have something coming up here shortly. But um, is your goal when 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 somebody comes to camp for them to leave being able to go and hunt completely on their own when they're all done? We all have all the tools 
to do that. Like they will have the knowledge if they have the confidence or not is another question. I've been doing this six years and I still struggle to get out there on my own, force myself to do it now and then. But um, yeah, we, we definitely, we want you to have all of the tools you need to be able to do that if that's what you choose to do. Well, and I would absolutely, you know, on the coattails of that mention that one of the hardest things specifically for women in hunting, whether it's big game hunting or upland hunting is building that social support network. And so, yeah, your partner might take you out and show you all of these things, you know, how to identify, how to shoot all that good stuff. But if you don't have that social support network built in where you can be like, Hey, Amanda, like, I want to go hunting. Does that sound fun? Like, let's go do that. Or Hey, Courtney, I have a question about how to, you know, tail mount this grouse. Hmm. Um, without that, a lot of women might drop off. You know, they might not continue their hunting hunting experience. And so that's where her upland is so important and so cool and so valuable because we are building in that that social network, that social structure. So women can, you know, maybe they don't quite have the confidence to go out on their own, but they know that they have this network of other women and mentors that they can ask questions or ask to go hunting with and build those lifelong relationships, which is something in a lot of other avenues of, you know, sporting activities that doesn't maybe exist as as strongly as we've built here at Herupland. One thing that I think I remember hearing, but I don't know that we've touched on, is that the online community that you have created allows people, let's say they sign up and they're in, you know, like South Dakota or Minnesota, it'll show other, you know, women members in their area. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. And there's contact information if they wanted to reach out and say, Hey, would you like to go hunt or, you know, connect? Yeah, you somehow. just reach out directly inside of the app. It allows you to chat um within there. So awesome. Okay, so I know we have to get going here, but um, if someone listening has a wife or daughter or friend that might enjoy being a part of her upland, what's the best way to get involved? And you know, what would you tell them if they're listening right now to help maybe say, take the step? Yeah, so I think there's like a couple of different avenues uh, to get involved. So if if you're interested in being a participant, of course, catch an event. A national event are amazing. Um, I think if you're looking to build more connections one-on-one with women around, you know, the United States or even just more locally, join that community. Uh, it is $14.99 a month or you can pay $149 a year all of those dollars go to youth scholarship. So you're not, you know, you're, that's what you're paying for. It's a great cause. And then you get all of these benefits. Um, and I think also if you are a talented human being that has something to offer other women, we're always looking for help at our camps. Um, whether you're talented in the kitchen at cutting up, you know, vegetables for dinner, or you're talented in being a field mentor, um, or you're, you know, you have some other hidden talent that would be great for women in the outdoors. Uh, on our website, there is a form you can fill out to be uh, a volunteer. And it, it takes you through like, are you interested in dog training? Are you interested in teaching a seminar? Are you interested in being part of the cook crew? Um, And so I think that is also an avenue that we would love to see more people submit through um, to join sort of the, the more nitty gritty stuff. Is it wrong to think that maybe a man listening could 
volunteer as well to help at a camp or help teach shotgunning or training or anything like that? Yeah, I I don't think that's wrong. We have a male shooting instructor that we use frequently um, who we get, I think, the most positive reviews for any instructor uh, came from from him and his great instruction. And okay. we, you know, we have the opportunity this year to use a couple of male dog trainers. Um, that they're all vetted out the same process. Uh, we just do ask that if you are a male that is attending a camp, that at night when we do our sort of like camp by campfire debrief, like woman time um that you would just sort of step away from that and allow the intimate women on women connections to occur sure last question for each of you before we go here what's the number one thing you've learned about yourself through hunting and dog training that you feel is important to share right now we'll go hannah first oh my gosh these loaded questions um um, that i think amanda really when she said it earlier really hit home for me is that it's okay to fail and it's okay to struggle. And knowing that, you know, surrounding yourself with a community that will catch you in those instances is so cool. And so, you know, that might not be the important like thing that you were looking for, like choke selection, but um, (laughs) I definitely (laughs) think, you know, knowing that there's communities out there that can allow you to have that space and, and we're here for it. And I've been so lucky to have found it. Yeah, I think what has been sort of like the most important thing to me is to be able to figure out not only how to like join into the hunting world with very little knowledge to start, but also into the dog training world and to be able to do it well in an environment that is so well supported by so many people who want to see you win. Um, And I know there's a lot of like commentary on on the negative side of it but in my experience over the last six years in just trying to get out into the field and sort of training my own dogs and and caring more about dog training and um, valuable dog work is I have so many people in my corner that I can call on the end of a bad day out at the at the duck search pond and say like man it's really not going well and and leave that conversation feeling like I won knowing that I didn't, you know? And so mm-hmm. it just is this, the, the hunting world is this community of people who really genuinely care about their people. And that is, that is like so, something that's so valuable to me. And I think like why I stay a part of it. Love it. Well, I really appreciate you both sharing your personal journeys and stories and everything that you're working on. And just the fact that you're committing your own time to helping others. It's just, it's it's great to see it's great to see your organization growing so fast and all these women and and young girls that are getting into hunting because of it. I mean, if you if you can positively impact one life, I'd say that's a success, but you guys are impacting way more than that. If anybody listening right now is interested to learn a little bit more, you can check them out her upland all one word on social media and upland.com you can find out uh, about the upcoming events and and joining the community uh ladies i hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and keep up the great work thanks so much for thanks so us. much we'll be back next week with another episode of the flush podcast mm-hmm.